I am so grateful for this opportunity to be with you this morning and to be able to share my thoughts with you. In light of the things that have occurred this week, I have had on my mind the desire to talk about the God of all comfort. I am delighted to be able to talk about this great, great God that we have. This week, Solomon's wisdom once again proved to be true. The hearts of the children of man are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts. Ecclesiastes 9.3 It couldn't be said more clearly of what we have experienced. This week, our nation was stunned and shocked at the atrocities played out in the news. Some even accused God of being complicit because he did not stop this atrocity. But how are we to make sense of all this craziness that's occurring in the world? I believe this is the time for the church to step up its commitment to preach and teach the greatness of our God. If we don't have an adequate and appropriate view of God today, we will not have an adequate and appropriate theology of hope for tomorrow. We must know that what we believe to be true is and will be tested in adversity. If we believe that God is sovereign, that he is sovereign over all things, we can have unshakable confidence that in everything that enters our lives and occurs in the world around us is either permitted or designed by God to accomplish his eternal plans and purposes. If we believe God is holy, we must believe that God will righteously judge all sin. If we believe God is love, we must know that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. If we believe God is our heavenly Father, we can be assured that our prayers will be heard and answered according to his will. It is said that the values of any culture never rise higher than their religious beliefs. What are the implications for us? If the religious beliefs of our, our country continue to reject the God of the Bible, our values will only continue to decline. We must know God's wrath will give our nation over to 
the horrendous consequences of our own sin unless there is a mighty work of God in our day. I ask a very tough question of us. Are we witnessing today the beginning of the revelation of God's wrath intended to call our nation to repentance? But in the midst of all this craziness and chaos, there is a reason for hope. I led a study this Thursday of some of the leaders in the church, not knowing that I would be speaking this morning. And I asked them, if you had the opportunity to speak to your church, what would you say to them in light of what we have experienced? And so I asked for them to write out their thoughts. I'm going to give you a few of the leaders' words of encouragement they wrote just for us today. Pastor Tristan wrote this. What the Lord promised the prophet Habakkuk should be remembered today. And then he quotes. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. He says, Habakkuk thought God was sleeping or didn't care. But he was already at work and will always be at work calling for personal and national repentance. God is always raising up his mouthpieces to call their nation to repentance. God is looking for people today who will walk with him in these days and not cower to the faces of people who have forgotten to blush over their sin. He concludes, If Abel's blood, the blood of one man, reached the heavens and cried out to God for justice, how much more will the blood of over 60 million aborted fetuses in our land cry out for justice today. John King wrote, Both in times of peace and times of chaos, God remains completely sovereign and omnipotent over all. This is clearly revealed in his word. God has throughout history brought his judgment and wrath upon a people who once knew him and then deliberately turned away from him. His purpose is to bring restoration and revival. This will result in the saving of many souls for the kingdom. He concludes, restoration and revival can only come When people recognize the sin within themselves, turn from it and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. For only he can forgive our sin and guarantee eternal life. This is the gospel. And Dr. Jim Hendrickson writes to us words of encouragement. Be encouraged, people. Because our God is an awesome God. 
Be encouraged because our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Be encouraged because he who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. He will not leave us nor forsake us. I want to thank those men for their words for of encouragement today. The Apostle Paul wrote similar kinds of words to the church at Corinth. He wrote his second letter to give them a more adequate and appropriate appreciation of the God of the Bible so they could have an adequate and appropriate theology of hope for tomorrow. Many of these early Christians came out of paganism. Some needed to know that their God was not fickle and capricious as the gods of their culture. Others had nagging memories of worshiping temple gods associated with the sensual pleasures. But most needed a biblical perspective, now listen to this, on how to live in a dying, decadent culture. That's what they needed to know. How then shall we then live in that kind of day? They constantly faced danger from without as barbarians invaded and terrorized, terrorized their country. They also watched what was happening within. They watched moral confusion destroy the government, the marriages, and the families. Sound familiar? And when they looked to their culture for hope, what did they find? Only chaos. Paul wrote to the church to give them Hope in the midst of personal and national despair. And that is what we need to hear today as well. Is a message of hope that comes from the God of all hope. The church needs to hear this. It needs to be convinced of this. It needs to be confident in this great God that we serve. Now let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Please take out your Bibles. The scripture's also in your worship folder. Follow along as I read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We are afflicted. It is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. 
For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will, he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul is in this large section is going to give us, if you would, lessons that he learned from his experience as an apostle going through countless trials, suffering, and affliction. The first thing that he teaches us is that God is our only help. Paul gives two descriptions of God that affirm his unfailing commitment to us. Paul glorifies God. He blesses him as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This truth brings perspective and hope in adversity. It is out of divine love that God the Father sent forth his only begotten Son into the world that he might save us from our sin. Our hope must always be centered in Christ. Jesus Christ is living proof there is an unalterable eternal plan for planet earth. Nothing can ever thwart it or hinder God's eternal purposes. What he began, he will complete. And he can and does even use the choices of evil men to accomplish his holy purposes. Read the book of Jeremiah and other prophets to see how that works. Paul also glorifies God as the father of mercy. He is the only true source of mercy. What we deserve today is justice. But what we need to pray for is mercy. Mercy is God's infinite capacity for compassion and empathy and care. Not only is he fully aware of everything we are facing, not is he only aware of the things that we're afraid of, but he's empathetic. He's sympathetic to us. He is the father of mercy because he is the father of Of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to find a definition for mercy. Look in the dictionary. Or theology under Jesus Christ. Paul also refers to God. As the God. Of all comfort. You see our God is not aloof. He is not unmoved by our plight. Rather he comes alongside. To encourage and to strengthen us, to protect us and to help us. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He is the indwelling pledge of God's presence 
He has come alongside us. He enables us to be bold, to be courageous, unafraid in the midst of life's toughest tests. Simply put, God is the ultimate source of every act of true comfort. And apart from God, there is no true comfort. In the day of Isaiah, a day of great fear, a a day of great desperation, the Lord told Isaiah, Oh, comfort, oh, comfort my people. That message needs to go out from the church today. We of all people must give hope to the world. And who is our hope? It is Christ. We should not be in panic mode. We should not be overwhelmed with fear. We should be overwhelmed with hope. We also learn some important things. That our great God never acts contrary to his holy character or his sovereign purposes. Never. He's immutable. He's completely trustworthy and never unnecessary harsh. Keep these things in mind. Even when we feel alone and abandoned, the Lord's love for us never diminishes. Often before times of great blessing come times of suffering and affliction. Paul goes on to talk about the affliction that he was facing. He wrote about this as well to the church at Rome. That God is always working through our adversity to accomplish his good purposes. Paul describes two conditions of God's comfort when we need it and when we see it. It is in suffering and in affliction. Suffering is physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual pain. And it is in our suffering that the God of mercy and comfort comes to our side. He also comes to us in our time of affliction. The word affliction that Paul uses describes the pressures of the world. The pressures that are crashing down upon us in a difficult time. Paul describes the affliction he and his Christian brothers had faced Describes it in verse 8. He says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of even life itself. Think about that. Even the great apostle was not immune from feeling overwhelmed by the pressures of life. But it was the Holy Spirit who gave him the courage and the power to persevere. In spite of these crushing pressures that came upon him, the Spirit gave him power to accomplish through his adversity, in his adversity, things greater than he could have even imagined. The Lord is always 
working all things together, even our suffering and affliction for his glory in our good. That should be a screensaver when you're watching Fox News. He's always working. And God comforts us in our trials so that we can comfort others in their trials. What do we learn from our suffering, affliction, and pressures? What we learn in those situations, we learn to be able to comfort others. The church, this is our hour. This is our day. Maybe our greatest day since the first century. To stand up in the middle of the chaos of the world around us, of all of its confusion, to say, there is hope, there is comfort, it's found in Christ. That is the only hope we have. And he is putting us through this so we can be of comfort to others. Don't be a part of spreading fear. Be a part of spreading hope and comfort. Paul discovered that his afflictions increased. As his afflictions increased, so did his capacity to comfort others in their time of adversity. The greater the adversity we experience, the greater our capacity to help other people. Adversity is God's ordained means of refining our faith and teaching us that in our inadequacy, he will be our adequacy. Adversity, Paul says, gave him proven experience. Credentials, if you would. And greater faith in God's adequacy so he could help others during their time of doubt and discouragement. What we are going through can be used by God, should be used in our life to be of comfort and hope to other people. We also learned that God uses our trials to draw us into closer fellowship with Christ. I don't know if you've ever experienced life-changing grief, sorrow, suffering. But if you were a child of God, you should have experienced a closer fellowship with Christ during those times than maybe any other time of your life. I stand before you Attesting that that is true. Paul also teaches that God teaches us or builds us up to persevere in our trials. That the trials that we're going through, what is ever happening around us today, is to give us the strength. To give us the the boldness. To persevere in our trials. To persevere In these difficult days. God also trains us in our trials. To trust him. Rather than trust in ourselves. That's what trials. Are intended to do. We're not trusting in our government. To pull us through. We're not trusting in the goodness of man to reverse the path that we're on. But we're trusting in God. 
that he will give us the power to persevere and to use this as one of the great days in church history for the gospel to go forth without any hesitation, without any compromise, and we stand firm. I learned a lot about the power of love in weakness. It goes way back in my, when I was a young boy in Fullerton in the elementary school, probably in second, third grade. And uh, I was asked to decorate my bicycle and to ride in a parade downtown Fullerton. I thought that was the greatest honor that could be afforded man at that time. And so I diligently decorated my bike, as I was told, in red, white, and blue crepe paper. I even put some playing cards that I borrowed and uh, clipped them onto my, the spoke of my uh, bike. You know what that sounds like? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I thought that was the coolest sound that you could have. So when you ride, it just sounded like you had like a little motorbike or something. Well, on the day, I got on my bike, said farewell to my mom, and I rode all the way to town, about four or five miles. I was so pumped. And uh, then we gathered together, and we rode throughout to the parade route. Um, man, I just thought, it doesn't get any better than this. And then at the end of the parade, it was time to go home. My mom said, we'll just drive ahead of you, and... Uh, you know, we'll meet you at home. I said, no problem. Well, there was a problem. Halfway home, these little legs were done. I, I just couldn't pump anymore. And so I pulled over and stopped, got off my bike. I just stood there. And my mom, looking through the mirror, wondered what was the matter. She stops. She gets out of the car to come find out what's wrong. I said, Mom, I just can't. I can't make it home. I am too tired. She said, go get in the car. Okay. Got in the car. I looked out the back window. My aunt was in the driver's seat, and she starts pulling ahead. And I'm looking out the back window. And there's Mom. <laughs> On a red, white, and blue decorated uh, bicycle with the... Uh, with the, the cards going around, and she is pumping that baby. She looked a little disturbed, <laughs> but she drove it home. And this is what I learned, that those who love you most will come alongside when you need them the most. I have transferred that thought from my incredible mother to my incredible God. When you come to the end of your human resources, your strength, that's when his adequacy takes over. Maybe you're here this morning and you felt like you've been pedaling all week. You made it to church, but you're not even sure you can pedal your bike home. Well, you're right where the Lord wants you. To recognize your weakness and your inadequacy so that you won't trust in yourself 
but you'll trust in Christ. He closes this section by talking about all that he went through and then he commends the church. He thanks the church. He petitions the church to pray. God teaches us in our trials the power of prayer. Paul said, I went to this through these incredible times of difficulty, affliction, and suffering. And behind that were the prayers of the saints. When we learn to live beyond ourselves and learn to live by faith in Christ, we begin to learn the necessity and the power of prayer. It was the prayer of the church that sustained Paul through his perilous trials. Prayer not only advances the gospel, but it also becomes the way we learn to appropriate God's grace so that we can live in a decadent culture that's dying from within. Have you come to that realization or not? Do I need to convince our church that we're living in a most incredible day? The craziness of the world around us should drive us to our knees. Praying for God to do a mighty work. Bringing about revival. Bringing about repentance of our nation. Because the only way to overcome the enemies that threaten us, the only way they can be defeated is through the preaching of the gospel and the prayers of God's people. And those who have faced affliction, suffering, Trials and tribulations, they make the best prayer warriors. They've been there, they've done it. They've seen with proven experience how God has been there for them, has brought them through the difficult times, how you've drawn closer to Christ in your adversity, not separated, but even closer. This is a time for God's people to pray. You don't leave it up to the leaders of the church, even though they do pray. But we join in praying for each other. God is the God of all comfort. Amen? If you came this morning looking for comfort other than from the gospel And the God of all comfort, I have failed. Jesus spoke in his day to people who felt overwhelmed by a government that was over their land and they had no voice. They were overwhelmed by the difficulties they were facing. And what kind of message did he give the people? A message of hope. 
Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather what? Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Yikes. And then Jesus says in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations. But take heart. Be of encouragement. I have overcome the world. We may not see yet his kingdom fully revealed, but it's coming. Our God is sovereign over everything. Nothing surprises him. Nothing can keep him from accomplishing what he ordained before the foundation of the world. And we know we have a God of comfort and hope because he sent his son. God's not through yet with us. He's not through in the world until he has gathered his church. And then the end shall come. We just have some days ahead of us. This is our day. I tell some of the young guys in the church, you are so fortunate to be young. You know why? Because I envy them that they're going to be living in one of the most incredible days to preach the gospel. I may not get there, but it's coming. Are you ready? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. Amen.